Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Heeltread Motorsport Socks. Go to heeltread.com. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 15, the Singapore Grand Prix. Not even Ferrari expected to be so competitive at Marina Bay, yet somehow the team took home its first one-two finish of the season. But it was Sebastian Vettel, not pole sitter Charles Leclerc, who took the chequered flag after accidentally undercutting his teammate. Ferrari's cause was aided by neither Mercedes nor Red Bull Racing nailing their setup and approach to the race. But could the Italian team now be in regular victory contention? To discuss how Ferrari won their unwinnable race, I'm joined by Julianne Serasoli, Brazil's only travelling F1 journalist. Julianne, how are you doing? A hero. A hero? The only hero from Brazil. (laughs) Hey, whatever you want to call yourself, I'm happy to call it. I'm just happy to have you on. You have an opportunity now to sound like a genius. Before this weekend, did you expect we would be talking about not only a Ferrari victory, but a Ferrari 1-2 led by Sebastian Vettel? Oh, yes. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely no. Sebastian, but it, we can say Sebastian in, in Singapore, he's always done really well. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that. But which Sebastian? Because the Sebastian of the last two years, yeah. who is this guy? It is a different Sebastian. Yeah, and then Ferrari, the le- last circuit that was similar to this one would be Hungary. Mm-hmm. And they were nowhere in Hungary. They were... The um, dumpling, the, the ugly dumpling. <laughs> it was, uh, they were a minute off the pace in Hungary. We're, we're very excited because looking into this race, some of the Italian media has become very excited. Uh, I think the best summary, and look, I'm willing to say this, the best summary of this race was an ugly duckling into a spaceship <laughs> is the way it was described. An incredible metaphor that only Italians could... It's the best headline of the year now. Yeah, it, I, there's nothing to top it. We may as well stop the season here because... <laughs> We all know the outcome is going to be the same anyway, so we may as well stop on a high. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, but Ferrari, they never had a pace in corners, and it's, Mm. what, 23 corners in Singapore, something like that. So nobody expected Ferrari to be strong. Everybody expected Red Bull to be the ones that were going to try to beat Mercedes, and Mercedes to be the the fastest one. Mm -hmm. But then there was a series of things that happened that led to this amazing one too mm-hmm. in which even in a one two being a ferrari there was a mess there was a crisis <laughs> to be controlled because that's Ferrari. the turnaround really was impressive and not just because in hungary for example the, the previous race that had a sort of similar aerodynamic demand was very bad for them a minute behind the checkered flag they finished there but even on friday they seemed like they were nowhere. At the end of Friday, everybody was riding them off as they expected to do. Mm-hmm. They did bring, like you said, some significant upgrades for this race that sort of worked complementary, in a sense, to some of the upgrades they've been doing in recent months. But how can we account for such a substantial turnaround, not from the last month, but in the space of less than 24 hours on Friday night? Yeah, but that was setup related. So they had a lot of things to go through because it was mm-hmm. a, a massive upgrade. It was the, the nose cone and with the whole floor was completely different. So it was a lot to go through. They were going through the data and then they found the best setup for Saturday. When I was speaking to both Ferrari drivers on Saturday, they were like, the car came alive. Mm-hmm. That's how they described. And especially for Vettel, this was very important because the problem for him in this season is that the, the front end of the car is really weak. Mm-hmm. And to balance that, the, the rear was getting a bit twitchy and that's how they were setting the car up and that doesn't favor Vettel because he needs the rears to be really stable to do the cornering he always does which is 
not very intuitive the way he drives. He drives in a, in a slightly different way from everybody. Mm -hmm. And when he doesn't have the confidence in the, the rear end, and then he shows much more, he, can, he cannot drive the way he wants. And I was asking him yesterday, so now you're back to driving the way you like, you're just mild. <laughs> yes, now I can drive my car the way I like. And that's what this upgrade did to the car. Mm. It, it just gave more overall balance and they can extract more. From the spaceship, which we maintain, we've the got to call spaceship. it a spaceship. It's what it is now, it's a spaceship I've never now. seen in any movie <laughs> a red spaceship. <laughs> well, maybe it's something they've got to work on. Ferrari could get some branding going. They're a new company these days. It's not only that Ferrari was taking steps forward here for this circuit, but this has always been, I always feel self-conscious saying this because Mercedes has won, I think, four of the last five or three of the last four races here. But it's always been a bit of a bogey circuit for them. They never do as well as they do during the season as a whole. And that kind of proved to be the case again. We expected them to be strong because that's the kind of car they've got. But they talked specifically after qualifying, uh, where Lewis Hamilton managed to qualify second, but that's sort of obviously the best he could do. Uh, that it's it to do with the balance, a lack of grip, and specifically a lack of tyre warm-up, because it's more difficult here than the temperatures would make you suggest. Yes, and there's also... <coughs> I was live for three hours yesterday, <laughs> and it shows. And it's a long race. It is a long... Oh, my God, I had to <laughs> come up with all the stories possible <laughs> to fill the gaps. But it's the bumps uh, also. Mm -hmm. the Mercedes is always being more sensitive to the bumps. And that's why we go into Russia now and they're going to walk it in <laughs> Russia because it's like a pool table. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it's all of that. It's the C5s, they, mm -hmm. they were never that comfort, 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 comfortable with the C5s as they are with the other types of tires. Mm -hmm. And it's the bumps and it's the, the heat. I don't think the engine was turned up. Yeah. Also because it was 30 degrees and quite humid here. And they have been wary of the the engine, so I think that all small factors that they all put together. Mm -hmm. It was a similar story as well, considering Red Bull Racing was expected to do very well here. I know all of the previews uh, were expecting a fight between Hamilton and Verstappen again. Uh, Red Bull Racing sort of didn't really figure. On Friday, they, they looked okay. They looked more or less there, and then maybe an extra step on Friday night might bring them into the fight. But not in qualifying and not even really in the race did they show that kind of pace we expected them to show. And they just sort of seemed out of kilter with this particular circuit as well. Yeah, it was a setup related, apparently. I spoke to Helmut Marko on the grid and said, yeah, we got it wrong with the, the setup. And Interestingly enough, it, what happened was that Verstappen was doing his work in the simulator and he went to one uh, way of setting up the car that didn't work well in the track because of the bumps, because the simulator was wrong about the bumps. Mm -hmm. So we, we just got to this from of the simulator world, the Formula <laughs> One, especially him, and he likes his sim racing and yeah. all that. He knows all about setting up a car mm -hmm. online. Yep. And then the real world proved to be different. <laughs> I like the idea that the Red Bull simulator, a very advanced simulator, might just be simulating like different bumps, unusual bumps. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe new, because this is, this, these streets are used normally, so I suppose bumps change over yeah. the year. I don't know. 
Possibly. Yeah. Weather. I don't know. It's got something related to it. It is a normally a bumpy, a bumpy circuit, but surprising that they weren't able to maximize it. And quite disappointing for them, I guess, because this is one of the few races where there's the earmarking big results. I suppose the next one, we've got a couple of aerodynamic tracks coming up. Mexico. Yep. And then, of course, Mexico, as they did last year, where they really had a big step forward. But yeah. I guess we wait and see how much of a, a spaceship this Ferrari car really is <laughs> and whether or not that's going to last. Singapore, not only in terms of the circuit, but the race itself ends up being kind of unusual. Last year, we saw the first part of the race, as we did this year, in fact, uh, operate at a really slow pace. Last year, we had the hypersoft tyres, which were extremely delicate. We didn't even think they were going to make 10 laps. Of course, they managed to do it, but they didn't and seem like the they were going tires. to do it. And it was the same tyres in this case, but there was also this added intrigue because Ferrari had taken such a big step forward on Friday night but the race pace on Friday seemed so poor that no one was sure how this race was going to unfold, whether Ferrari would have the pace to run, let's say, a more regular strategy and still be able to beat Mercedes at their own game or whether they were going to have to. Not, e- not even Ferrari. Yeah, whether they were going to have to. And it reminded me, I suppose, of, of Mercedes at Monaco, I think in 2013, where they knew their race pace was terrible, but they'd scored pole and just held up the whole race to make sure they could stay mm. there. This was sort of Ferrari's approach to the race. Leclerc was lapping... 12 to 14 seconds slower than the car's potential. Yeah, in the beginning of the race, at some point, Russell was the fastest man yeah. on track. I mean, yeah. there's something completely <laughs> wrong here. But yeah, they do that to just make the, the field get back together and then nobody mm-hmm. can attend uh, an undercut because they knew the undercut would be quite strong. But also, they didn't know for how long they had to, to do the first stint for mm-hmm. drivers who were on the soft tyre, of course. Because they just don't, they don't want in any situation in Singapore to do to stop race, mm-hmm. because you lose around 28 seconds in a pit stop, which is usually is around 22, 23. Yeah, and you're gonna you, you give up track track position in the street circuit. It's the first thing you have to think about strategy-wise is track position. So it's all of this. It was not just pace, but it was pace plus strategy. Mm-hmm. It, it was. Ferrari's strategy to go slow. That was it. And of course, Ferrari will have remembered last year that there was an attempted undercut. Sebastian Vettel was involved, got stuck behind even Sergio Perez. The undercut was more powerful this year, but it does go to show that despite this not being uh, as narrow and twisty as Monaco, despite being a little bit faster, a little bit wider, this is still a really difficult track to overtake. We normally get the kind of action here is due to some unusual reasons, weird stuff that happens rather than just regular action, if you like. Yeah, Lewis yesterday was saying, Monaco is horrible, but this is mm-hmm. even more horrible. <laughs> That's what he said after the race. He proposed, what was it? He wanted to change the layout of the last two corners. Right. To make it more interesting, to create one spot for, for overtaking. Uh-huh. So they can do it. It's a street race. They can just redo Choose the whole street. thing. Yeah, exactly. Pull down a building here or there. <laughs> City Hall is near there. Oh, there's enough money to do that here. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there's a chance the circuit will change in 2021 or 2022, yeah. rather, if they extend the contract. So maybe no they should consult corner. him. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. Scenes corner is going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the PK crash corner, of yeah. course. I'm, sure, I'm hope that at least... When the track moves away, they'll put a little plaque in the ground. People can walk over it and think about the momentous time that was. And change the bumps. Yeah, exactly. But there was even a a fake safety car, which is something that Singapore is always famous for. A fake safety car? Yeah, with the the racing point. They asked Checo to 
pull out on the track. Mm-hmm. That was the, the actual message. Yeah, yeah. Because Stroh, he had just pitted and he was like 30 seconds be- uh, mm-hmm. behind all the field. And he could keep up the field. Very yeah, convenient. That's what they did. Mm. Old Sergio Perez signs a three-year contract and then we know who's in charge in that team. We know how that team works. It is not him. Yeah. <laughs> One of three safety cars that cropped up. Safety car did have an influence on the race. We'll get to a little bit later. But this first stage, much as it was last year, was all about cat and mouse, waiting to see if any gaps would emerge in the field to allow these first pit stops. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because none of the teams really wanted to stop because they were all kind of afraid of one another while also being afraid of dropping into traffic. And in the end, in terms of the decision for the lead, it was and made... also not making to the end. Uh, exactly right, because it had to be a one-stop and they all underestimated how far that hard tyre would go. In the end, the hard tyre held up fine. Yeah. Uh, but all of them were worried it might not make 40 laps in this 61-lap race. Yeah. The decision was made for Ferrari and, to a certain extent, Mercedes by Red Bull Racing, who were trying to be ambitious because they felt like they weren't really in the count in an ordinary race. They were monitoring a gap between Nico Hulkenberg and Lance Stroll, mm-hmm. old friend Lance Stroll, uh, and they triggered an undercut. Ferrari had to respond. They pitted Vettel. And this was the first moment that Charles Leclerc's race, ironically enough, started unraveling. Yeah. Yeah, what they saw, they saw there was this gap. They knew once there was this gap, this was going, so was, someone was going to stop and they had to defend and then defend it with the second car, which was the car that was more at risk. Mm-hmm. And it, it made sense at the time. <laughs> and he How was... many times do we say that about a Ferrari <laughs> show? At the time, it made sense. Sure, it did. And Vettel was three and a half seconds behind Leclerc, so he would have been safe. Um, mm-hmm. It's not. We're, we're always really harsh on Ferrari. Say, oh my God, look how they've done this completely <laughs> stupid again. But my God, 200, 300, 300 yeah. <laughs> seconds. Three and, a, three and a half seconds, he should have been fine. Mm-hmm. And Ferrari didn't even bother telling Charles that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to Mattia Binotto and asked him, so why you didn't tell your driver that the other driver had stopped yeah. and you could push? And he was right beside Charles and said, hey, we did tell you. And Charles, no, <laughs> didn't tell me. And he basically looked at me and said, we forgot. <laughs> No, he didn't say we forgot, but he said we had other priorities. Mm-hmm. You can for- you can you can forgive people who are a little bit sceptical, not about the fact that Vettel was pitted, because as you said, makes perfect sense in that mm-hmm. situation. In fact, well called by Ferrari to be monitoring Red Bull yes. Racing and and call in Vettel, who was ahead of Max Verstappen. So at the track, exactly. Yes. So was well called by them in that regard. But considering there have been other communication breakdowns uh, in Ferrari. Canada springs to mind where Charles Leclerc was not told Sebastian Vettel had a penalty, yes. finished only one second behind him after the penalty was applied, for example. Uh, not the first time Leclerc hasn't been kept completely abreast of the situation. But nonetheless, uh, the Vettel stop made sense. It did also come with the bonus that he might have been able to undercut Lewis Hamilton. And then the ball was in Leclerc and Hamilton's court, as you said. Leclerc then came in for the pit, standard procedure, but merged right right behind really Sebastian Vettel and it's interesting because that inlap was so critical wasn't it the idea that he wasn't told and maybe the idea that he wasn't even told early enough that it was his inlap yeah uh, what he said after the race was that uh, I just followed the team's plan Mm -hmm. which was to go as slow as possible so of course in his last lap he tried to push but then there was no grip uh, in the tyre anymore 
So he was also in a delicate position mm -hmm. uh, to suffer the, the undercut. And then for Lewis Hamilton, he's the one that I don't understand what they're doing <laughs> with, with their strategy. Because apparently, the message, he got a message, you, you come in or you just don't do what, what the clerk does. Mm -hmm. So we do, you stay in the track if the clerk stops. We don't know exactly in which lap this was yep. said to him, if he was when Leclerc actually came in. But he wanted the undercut all the time, and Mercedes was not giving to him. I, thought, I think maybe Mercedes thought their pace was better. Yeah. And they could do the, the overcut because of their pace, but the pace was not there anymore because the tyre was dead. And this is another interesting part from the Mercedes perspective because they had what I think is fair to say a, a rare communication lapse as well because... Lewis was under the understanding that when he didn't follow Charles Leclerc in or didn't pit around that window, that he'd try that overcut for one or two laps and mm -hmm. then come in and, and hopefully the pace of the Mercedes would do whatever unexpected it to do and jump in front of the, fry, of the, the Ferraris and they'd win the race, exactly as he expected and anticipated. But he used the best of his tyres after two laps. There wasn't that much left in them to begin with. Yeah. And then Mercedes expected him to stay out for several further laps and actually looked like they were aiming for more of a, a tyre offset strategy where he'd be able to come back towards the end. But he couldn't execute it because he'd already used the tyres because he hadn't really yeah. been told about it. Yeah, he had no tyres to, to do what Mercedes wanted him to do. And interestingly, uh, because completely different from what happened in Ferrari, then Bottas was told to slow down. Yes. Because they have an internal rule that one driver cannot undercut the other. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, something that was unknown to the yeah. public before. And now we know th th there is this rule. So I don't like that. I don't know what's your yeah. opinion on that. Because it just kills one important tool for a driver to yeah. get a better position. Yeah. It's a very cute rule for Mercedes, yeah. isn't it? it and it, it's interesting because... And, and it's interesting from the perspective of Charles Leclerc as well, if you want to con compare and contrast the two examples, that the drivers who were... In fact, none of the drivers made any mistakes in these situations. It was all about the team strategists misunderstanding both sets of tyres, ultimately, the, the longevity of the soft and the hard, and then misjudging the fact that one of the drivers was at risk of an undercut. To credit to Mercedes, I guess, at least they realised it before they made the pit stop call. <laughs> Ferrari only seemed to realise it when they came out and they were in the wrong order. <laughs> So yeah, you but, can pay but, them but that. That was credit. easy because that had happened before. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. They had the the advice, I guess, from Ferrari. They knew the undercut was powerful, but I guess you could also understand from Mercedes' perspective that Alex Elbon was right behind Valtteri Bottas, and there was also the risk that had Bottas not slowed down to to prevent Elbon from also catching up, Hamilton was at risk to falling to sixth place. And at that point, Toto Wolff reckons they still thought they could win the race which in retrospect seems extremely ambitious and misguided. Did but they? Yeah, that's what he reckons, that coming out at that point, they were gracing for victory, which obviously didn't happen. So you can kind of understand why you would want to, to push Bottas back. And then I guess on top of that, poor old Valtteri Bottas is at the point now where he knows he's the second driver for this part of the season, if not permanently. Uh, no, what he reckons is that if he has the other, the other way around, Mm -hmm. it, it would work the same. Do you think it would, though, if this was a race with Lewis Hamilton currently in a car that apparently can't win every race, the championship's not done and dusted, wouldn't they give Hamilton an advantage? Will it ever happen? <laughs> <laughs> That's also a fair point. If it'll never come up, then it's not worth thinking about. 
But we're talking about so many mistakes here. Mm -hmm. Why do they have so many time in free practice if they cannot get the tires right? It's a good point, isn't it? It's, and it's incredible that there was such a big misunderstanding. And it kind of goes to, and we go back, I suppose, to the, to the previous Grand Prix as well, where Mercedes didn't want to use the hardest tires, for example, because they didn't bother to run them in practice. Mm -hmm. Even though they're a reserved set, Pirelli says you have to keep for the race. Yeah. And not every team ends up using them. Depends on the circuit. But there was some hard running uh, during practice, but not very much, obviously, compared to the soft. And so... It's weird, you're right, that they go into a race with a really incomplete picture of the only strategy they were ever going to use. They do that because of the tyre allocation. Mm. Usually they only bring one set or two yeah. sets of hards. I don't know what's the thinking, thinking behind that. Of course, it's qualifying. They're yeah. giving all the tyres to qualifying and that, that is their focus. But throughout the season, we had a lot of surprises with mm. the hard tyre. Yeah, that's right. And it's because of that, because they don't, tried in, in practice. I think it was Max in Austria, wasn't he? He ended yeah. on a hard tyre and was super fast on that tyre and no one saw it coming. And the, the hard and the medium, depending on the, the compounds, they are closer. Mm -hmm. This is a, when it's the C543, there's a huge, huge gap yeah. between the, the 5 and the 4. So depending on the, the compounds, then the hard is not that hard. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Way. Yeah, and especially the circuit where by that point, of course, we'd learned the undercut had a huge advantage. And of course, because for that first part of the race, everyone was going so slowly that just naturally an outlap pace is way faster yeah. by, in a relative sense uh, that it made it super effective. So we had these two situations where the two top teams completely blindsided by the pace of their other driver. The Lewis Hamlin strategy was weird though, wasn't it? And even in some senses, I mean, Bottas' strategy was purely was reactive it, on Alex Albon's. strategy, was it? It was really strange. I mean, they talk about going in for the win. Of course, Hamilton qualifying second should have been in a position to win. And as he sort of said, and, and this is another point in Mercedes' strategy, which I feel like we're seeing a little bit this year, maybe because they've been challenged a couple of times. Mm -hmm. They often are on the side of being conservative. And at a race like this, where a lot of stuff was happening and people were winning places by accident, it completely let them down. And Hamilton was the driver who was really wanting the team to be more ambitious throughout the race. Yeah, what, what he said is that before the race, they had decided the undercut was not going to work. Mm -hmm. So they were wrong from the yeah, start. Yeah, by a long way. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's why they believed in, that, in those simulations and they went for the, the overcut. That was never there because mm -hmm. the tyre drop was never there. And it's interesting because... We often hear, you know, when they get out of the car, Charles Leclerc, for example, in this race where he said, and Lewis Hamilton said it as well, that the team's got a much better overview of the whole race, I trust the team. But there is also, Lewis Hamilton's quite good at it, of, of trying to communicate with the pit wall the, the picture from his point of view in terms of the tyres and in terms of how much faster he thinks he can go if only had a new set of tyres, for example. And also in a certain sense, while of course the team does have a better overview, if you're in a position where you can't really win on the track, why not let a driver gamble and use you know, his abilities? Hamilton has the best of the abilities on the grid, pretty much. Very successful here as well. Why not let him gamble? Because they are engineers. <laughs> That's how they think. They think the, the simulations are much better than human mm -hmm. heart or, <laughs> or human ability. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's fair as well. Uh, and often they are right, it's fair to say. We make a lot of fun of them when something like this goes wrong, but the rest of the strategies normally work out, I guess. So we have this weird situation. Mercedes headed it off immediately. Hamilton came out ahead of Valtteri Bottas. There was no issue there, but for the entire second half of the race, 
you had Charles Leclerc behind Sebastian Vettel. He was attacking, very angry, it's got to be said, at various flashpoints as well behind certain safety cars. And it was alluded to afterwards that they had talked about the idea of maybe swapping these two drivers. There's a lot of risk in that situation. What do you think, uh, what did you make of the fact that they didn't do it? Oh, that would be the end of Vettel's career. <laughs> I mean, if I was Vettel, I would just walk away because he mm-hmm. had merit on that yeah. one. Because his in-lap, his, out, his out-lap, mostly the out-lap, they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was ahead. So um, when Mattia and Charles and Seb were, were doing the, the press conference after the race, I felt that Seb was looking at us because we were all talking about this strategic mess. And he was looking at us going like, I fucking won this race. Yeah. You should talk to me about how <laughs> great I am because I was great today. And he was. Yeah. It was, a, I mean, it was a good, a well-timed performance for him. Uh, and as much as we talk about this race being a, a resurgence for Ferrari, it's a resurgence from him, and it goes together, doesn't it? Because the weaknesses in this Ferrari's car this year were weaknesses that really exploited his own, I guess, holds in driving style, as yeah. you said earlier. Uh, this could be an important race for the rest of his season, because for the last, I mean, couple of months, it's been when Sebastian Vettel going to retire, or the latest I heard was go on a sabbatical, which never works in Formula 1. I'm not really sure, because in the past two years, he had his moments when mm-hmm. he drove really well in one race. And this is the kind of Sebastian Vettel signature race, <laughs> because he didn't have to make any overtakes. <laughs> his problem is when he has to overtake people. Yeah. Well, he did pass, uh, you know, and Anto- Pierre Gasly was the aggressive Antonio, passer, Antonio. Antonio Giovinazzi. Oh, amazing. Which was very, I mean, it was so tempting for fate to go wrong in that situation, <laughs> wasn't it? Completely unnecessary. Very well controlled, but completely unnecessary. <laughs> That's who has done this before. Yeah, exactly right. It's incredible that he was being so ambitious, but he was riding a wave of confidence in a car that suited him, I suppose. Yeah. We got to the second safety car. I forget how all of them were triggered, to be totally honest with you, but we got to the second one. The first one, Vettel had aced the start, the restart. Leclerc had no chance. The second one, however, we got the, I suppose, the poignant team radio, the point where it really came to a head, where he was demanding everything were his words. I want everything. Including the engine mode, which I guess (laughs) is the highest one. Uh, And he was told in a way that people who follow Formula 1 over a long period of time are familiar with, to bring the car home, yeah. which means stop complaining and finish second. Yes. Uh, this is, I mean, he's still new to the team. He understands the situation. They had a talking to as well before that press conference, between the team photo and the press conference, maybe even another one before that. How does, it, how does a driver like that take this kind of situation where, as much as Vettel drove very well, Leclerc did nothing wrong? But sometimes that's how it goes. Uh, what he said in the interview just after he left the podium was that if... They convinced me that this was the best thing for the team, and then I'm fine with it. And it was the best thing for the team, because that strategy call got them the 1-2. The mm-hmm. they, they didn't have at the moment. They, yeah. they had a 1-3. It turned the 1-3 one, one, in a 1-2. Yeah. So it was better for the team. So he, he cannot complain. And that's fair enough. And I, I really enjoyed how much that was emphasized afterwards as well, because it kind of came in the shadow of... 
some mess at the Italian Grand Prix during qualifying. Of course, we talked about this in the previous episode where it seemed like Ferrari, for maybe the first time, was not completely happy with Charles Leclerc after he didn't give Sebastian Vettel the toe for the final run in Q3. I enjoyed that emphasis that the team comes first. Uh, it was a timely reminder, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's Ferrari. It's, yeah. it's always been like this at Ferrari. He has to... He cannot just come with 21 years old and try to change Ferrari. Yeah. He's got to wait until at least he's 22. I think <laughs> Which is next month. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Well, I'd say 23. 22 and a half, maybe. So the result was that Sebastian Vettel won this race ahead of Charles Leclerc. Max Verstappen... I guess put on a happy face towards the end of the race that he managed to score a podium off both Mercedes. And that on its own, finishing ahead of both Mercedes, shouldn't be understated. But a massive disappointment for them not understanding how to approach this race. And then both Mercedes cars and the remaining Red Bull racing car, Alex Albon, who had a go. Good on him. All right, he did okay. Then behind, we had a little bit of a mess to touch on the midfield very briefly because some of them were leading the race for a little while. Uh, that was, I guess, the extreme version of the strategy we saw where they just kept going on those ties until they couldn't go anymore. Some of them got the safety car benefit, Nico Hulkenberg being one of them. Some of them just missed out. Were you surprised? I mean, I guess they went to half distance, past half distance, some of these drivers. But given there's this 100% record for a safety car that more of them didn't really try to hang on. And they're, they're trying to, to wait for the safety car. Exactly. And exactly is in that part of the race where it gets... Some, with some drivers with very old tyres mm-hmm. and the walls really close yeah. and the walls get closer and then yeah. the chance of a safe, safety car in that part of the race is, is bigger. Yeah, exactly right. And so Nico Hulkenberg was able to do it, but I guess he was originally trying to make it to the end on essentially one set of tyres after making a first pit stop. Uh, Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah he's going to try. I would have liked to have seen how it ended. Uh, Giovinazzi did stop behind it, but he'd already made a pit stop before that. It did work out for him, though. He actually had quite a good end to the race, quite an aggressive end to the race. Much needed for him, I guess, since there's a, well, Nico Hulkenberg floating around out of contract. I voted for him for driver of the day. Oh, well, that's fair enough, considering he's the first Alfa Romeo driver to lead a race since the 80s. Andrea de Cesaris, I think, I read. Sure, go uh, and look that one up yeah, on Reddit, if I you think like. The, was the first non-Mercedes, Ferrari, or Red Bull since... 2015, I think. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a real long time. I'm not entirely sure of the dates, but it's a long time. Yeah, it's a fair old time. He had a great race towards the end, scored the final point. But Romain Grosjean, for example, even Carlos Sainz pitted one lap before that first safety car. Sainz was on a big recovery from that crash on the first lap. And Romain Grosjean, well, he always seems to be struggling, but he was, uh, you know, he was involved in that crash, actually, that triggered the safety car. Uh, but Sainz, for he, example, really could have benefited from that to one. To be blamed. Well, racing incident, I suppose. There are. (laughs) Well, there are all incidents in races. In Australia, they have a law that it's the blame is shared if you have a a car accident, and then it's I don't know if it's Australia. Maybe you have like sixty percent share of blame, but he always he considered that both are both are blame. I don't know if that's in Australia. I haven't been in enough car accidents to know, I'm afraid. <laughs> I've never driven with Romain Grosjean either, so maybe next <laughs> year I'll helps. give it a go, yeah, and I'll find out. And then, of course, we had Lance Stroll further down, and, well, didn't work out for him if the strategy car was a strategy indeed. Would have been very interesting. It's happened here before. Hey, it's all part of the game. An interesting Singapore Grand Prix, I think. Uh, it's certainly potentially enlivened the rest of this season if this Ferrari step is a permanent one and not just taking advantage of other weaknesses. I mean, I don't know. How do you think the rest of this season is going to go now as we head towards the final couple of rounds? I, well, I don't believe in the spaceship thing. 
it's more of a duckling yeah, still. This circuit, this circuit is very particular, and you have the bumps. Ferrari, they are not as, I don't know, they, they are better with the, the, the bumps. <laughs> they are better with the bumps than Mercedes. Mercedes cars, it's a more of a perfect car, so it needs yeah. more of a perfect track. Uh, so we don't have that, I think, uh, maybe in Brazil, we're going to have some yeah. bumps back in Mexico. But in this type of corners, it's just 90 degree corners. Mm-hmm. Ferrari are, are good now in this type of corners, but in longer ones, like the ones we have in Suzuka, yeah. will they be good enough? Mm. There's something we uh, they don't know, we don't know. Yeah, but it's a big test for them and certainly a big setup for next season if indeed they've cracked why their car was an ugly duckling for the start of the year. I can't wait to find out what goes on, but thanks so much for joining me, Julianne. Oh, my pleasure. That was Julianne Serasoli, Brazil's only travelling F1 journalist. The Strategy Report is powered by Heeltread Motorsport Socks. Go to heeltread.com and check out the range of designs inspired by iconic cars. And if you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus on all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a review and a rating to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a Mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the Singapore for Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice for a discussion about the quality of chicken rice in Singapore. I've been Michael Laminato. Look me up at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in just a week's time for the Russian Grand Prix.